Hello and welcome to the Wealth Radio Show. We're honored that you're joining us. Hold on. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. You know, I'm so excited about this show that I uh, started talking before we even got the uh, show rolling. The music was still going. And now I hear my uh, radio player in the background. I've got to shut that thing off. I've got to tell you, lots of, lots of excitement. Not, not, my, not fully prepared, too excited. But we're honored that you're joining us today. And keep in mind... Ron, your, guest, your guest is online, Ron. Your guest is online. Oh. Excellent. All right, then I don't have to stress about that. So that was my uh, my other factor. But keep in mind, if we don't gain some new knowledge during this hour, we have a 200% money-back guarantee. Yes, we'll refund double what you paid to listen. Now, admittedly, I'm very confident I won't have to pay out any refunds at the end of this show. We have a very important topic, your habits, both good and bad habits, at least as related to wealth accumulation, If we don't have enough time to cover all the questions you might have about yourself, we have a way for you to learn more about your habits that we'll be discussing. I'll share that suggestion at the end of the show. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll notice this shows a very logical continuation of the discussion we had with Victor Riccardi on investor behavior during our last show. Regardless of where you are in the world, whether you're tuning into the live show or listening to the archive, I'm confident you'll be glad you joined us. And whether you're new to investing or have decades of experience, you're retired, working, or even unemployed, you should get a pad and pen or your electronic device to take some notes. Now, if you're driving, hopefully you carry a recorder for taking notes, as I do, or you can go back and take notes as you re-listen from the archive. And of course, I'll share that link if you're not familiar with it. Our topic today is rich habits. And yes, we will talk about those habits you share with the wealthy and the habits you share with the poor. I don't want to refer to them as good habits or bad habits, but they clearly are if you're trying to become wealthy. So if your goal is the same as mine and most of our listeners, to build your wealth then the habits you share with wealthy wealthy people you want to maintain or strengthen. And those habits which are common for poor people you want to change or eliminate. That certainly is my game plan at the end of this show. Now, as you know, we have a tradition of using a quote to set the stage for the topic, and I'd like to share the first that came to mind, which is the common sense adage I shared in the show announcement. Understanding the problem is half the solution. And I guess I should add that Voltaire had uh, reminded us that common sense is not as common as it used to be. And a version of that old adage from actress and great philosopher Mae West, knowing what you want is the first step toward getting it. That, incidentally, is also the principle behind the D in the wealth DNA framework. So let me repeat that most that uh, that important quote from Mae West, knowing that sh- what you want is the first step toward getting it. So let's put these two versions together 
Most of us know that we want to build our wealth, but we're not necessarily aware of the factors of holding us back, and that is the problem, simply stated. Now, I don't know about you, but I certainly find it easier to identify the factors holding other people back than to notice them in my own life. At the end of today's show, you and I will have far be far more aware of some of the habits we've developed that are holding us back. And until we identify those habits, we can't change or eliminate them, hence knowing the problem. And at no extra charge today, we'll hear about the habits we need to develop or strengthen. Today is Monday, twenty seventh, uh, Monday, April twenty seventh. Let's try that again. Told you I was excited about this show, two thousand fifteen. It is nine oh four a.m. here in Arizona, twelve oh four p.m. on the U.S. East Coast, where our guest is, and eighteen oh four in continental Europe. It's the only day I ever like it. We'll do everything possible to make it a great one. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. Show airs every second and fourth Monday at nine a.m. in Arizona. Your local time might change, but ours doesn't. I'm certainly glad this show wasn't scheduled while I was in Hawaii last week. There it would have been 6 a.m., and I would have been far less awake. I suspect many of our listeners in Hawaii tune into the archive of the show while they're enjoying breakfast on the patio. And the weather there is indeed great year-round. Now, I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss some shows or you want to re-listen to them, you can find them on the archive. Just go to wealthdna.us, where we list each of the shows, both upcoming archive. Now, we're in the process of redesigning that website and appreciate any suggestions you might have. The key challenge we're working on at this point is improving the search capabilities so you can find any show by topic, title, or by guest. If you have a problem finding a show, feel free to contact me, ron at wealthdna.us. Now, our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix, Scottsdale area. The U.S. equity markets, which reached a new record high last week, are off to a positive start. Asia was up strongly overnight. Europe, which is closed, was up, and Brazil is down. Now, incidentally, if you haven't been tracking the Chinese stock market lately, it's gone up so quickly recently, it's starting to look like a bubble. So, yes... I'm trimming my holdings in Chinese holdings. And by the way, I've never lost money taking profits. Now, the advantage of joining us for the live show is you get to ask questions or make comments, either using the chat window below the radio player, and that should be up and running, and I just don't have it on my screen yet, but we'll get that up and running on my screen as well. So there is a chat window below the radio player. That's the easiest way, or you can call in, and that number is at the top of the screen. Incidentally, neither of those options will work if you're listening to the archive. Trust me on that. On the other hand, if you listen to the archive of this show, especially 10 or 20 years in the future, you'll have some history to see how the information tips you hear on this show would have impacted your wealth accumulation had you joined us live. Our special guest to discuss rich habits is Thomas C. Corley, CPA, CFP, and a president of Seraphis Company. He's also CEO of Rich Habits Institute and the author of the book, Rich Habits, The Daily Success Habits of Wealthy Individuals. Tom Corley is passionate about financial independence, so he actually trains businesses, individuals, and students how to become financially successful by adopting these rich habits. You get to talk to him today. Let's give a warm radio welcome to Thomas C. Corley. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for joining us today. 
Hi, Ron. Thanks for having me on your program. I appreciate it. Ah, I always uh, always look forward to talking to folks that have you know are contributing to the uh, world of financial independence, and and it sure sounds like your book is uh, is a good step in that direction. I gave a brief overview of your background. If you're at a cocktail party, party, excuse me, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I, I used to just introduce myself as a CPA or a financial planner, but uh, the last two years. I've changed that because my career's changed thanks to the book, and uh, mm-hmm. now I introduce myself as an author, CPA, and a financial planner. Very good. When did you write the book? Uh, I didn't get a chance to check on, on some of those details. When did you write the book, Rich Habits? Well, that was in 2009. I, I finished my what I call my Rich Habits study mm-hmm. uh, sometime in early 2009, started writing the book a couple months after that, and... Um, I, f- I guess we, we finished up and got it published in March of 2010. Okay. Now, prior to that, what was your primary focus, and what was your motivation for writing the book? I mean, obviously, something you were doing was kind of uh, in in your mind saying, hey, there, there, there's something going on here that I need to put down on paper and, and share with others. Well, sure, Ron. What really was my role as a CPA and advising companies and individuals uh, brought me into contact with a lot of uh, businesses and individuals. And one mm-hmm. of those contacts was a small business that was struggling financially. It was a business he, he had inherited from his father. And uh, I guess the business they were in business for about 50 years. They were an auto mm-hmm. body shop. Uh, and he had really um, been driving the business downward over the course of the last uh, 10 or 15 years since he took it over. And he came into my office late one night, I'll never forget it, uh, and he started breaking down, he started crying, and he he was on the verge of bankruptcy. His bank had termed his line of credit, they shut it down, couldn't make payroll, and he just started crying in front of me. And and he asked me, what is it that your successful clients are doing that I'm not doing, and what, what am I doing wrong? And so I started doing some research to see what was out there, and I... I so the only thing that really popped up that I thought had any real value was D- Dr. Thomas Stanley's book, The Millionaire Next Door. But it, it was only one side of the coin. It didn't it didn't really tell me what it was that poor people were doing that was creating their poverty, uh, and it didn't get, get into the minutia. Uh, you know, how, how, what are wealthy people doing every single day that's responsible for their success? So I said, well, heck, I'm gonna. I'm going to try and figure this out, and I started um, re- started interviewing wealthy people, and then I ended up interviewing, I think, 233 wealthy individuals, most of them self-made millionaires. And um, then I wanted to look at the other side of the coin, so I interviewed mm-hmm. over 100 poor people, find out what they were doing wrong. And when I was done with my research, I had this epiphany, Ron, and it was that, my gosh, it's all about your habits. These are just daily habits that are responsible for whether you're wealthy or in the middle class or poor. So it all came about because a 50-year company was about to crash. Sorry to use that uh, pun there with mm-hmm. the uh, the auto body industry, but uh, uh, no, fascinating, and, and it's interesting that a company in business that long was was starting to go wrong. And I, I suspect you really did learn a lot just from his. But uh, cool, let's let's talk about a little. You, you just touched on it a little bit, but let me let me mention another book. Um, 
that I want to contrast with. If you take your book, Rich Habits, and we contrast it with T. Harv Eker's uh, book, which is Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, that was based on his own experience and some of his dealings with wealthy individuals and, and, and others. Uh, it sounds like Rich Habits is, is a lot more research-based. It sounds like you really kind of uh, you know specifically went out to talk to these people and interview them and get uh, factors in their lives uh, and, and a much mm-hmm. larger sample. Yeah, I I was just after the truth, Ron, and I I read a lot. I'm it's one of the rich habits that I I mm-hmm. stumbled into in life. But and I read that book and I read Dr. Thomas Stanley's book and uh, hundreds of others related to success. And mm-hmm. it, the thing that's missing from most of these books is is a real explanation of of how wealthy people put their shoes on, how they tie their shoes, how they walk. And, you know, I wanted to get into real nitty-gritty of their activities. What are they doing on a daily basis? And is any of this causing their success? And and that's when I I stumbled onto what I call the Holy Grail, which is your your habits are behind everything. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, yeah, and I I definitely would, you know, praise uh, both both, uh, uh, works because uh, his focuses on mindset. You're a little bit more on the habits. Both important things for people to be aware of. But let's go back then to what you started with, which is the millionaire next door. Stanley and Danko. Uh, now, in their case, that was very research-based, but it sounds like, uh, again, there's a, there's a big contrast in that theirs, as, as you touched on, was really more on demographics and lifestyle uh, and how mm-hmm. the uh, uh, wealthy live versus what, of course, marketers had always assumed and most people assume. And you're really gearing yours to changing that behavior uh, and figuring out what it is we do when we put our pants on in the morning or, uh, or however we get dressed uh, that that's different than uh, somebody that is wealthy or somebody that's poor. Yeah, I, I think what you want to find out is what daily activities, what behaviors are they engaging in that are responsible for them being wealthy or having a high net worth. Dr. Thomas Stanley's book was great because it, it gave us a, a sort of a insight into the lives of these high net worth individuals, these individuals that were generating uh, some some good income and some good wealth, but it just didn't tell us how. How were they doing it? And I was after the how. I wanted to know exactly. I didn't want any theory. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a CPA. I wanted numbers. I wanted facts. I wanted to understand exactly what they were doing on a day-to-day basis and then i you know my analytical mind the way i work as many cpas have the same um mindset is you Mm -hmm. you lay it out look at all of the facts and then compare them to uh so i compared the rich group to the poor group and i started seeing all of these dissimilarities uh, you know in the way that they how what, what time they woke up in the morning um, what did they do in the morning? What did they do in the afternoon? What did they do at at night? You know, most of the habits are time based. They, they you have yeah. habits in the morning, you have habits in the afternoon, you have habits at night. You you can even break it down further on to hourly uh, if you really w- want to get into depth on this. So uh, I tried to find out what they were doing every single minute of every single day, and then I uh, I studied it for about eighteen months. And came up with the what I call the the rich habits uh, research summary. Hmm. 
Okay. And then one other parallel that just struck me is when you mentioned the uh, auto body industry, there's another example where uh, uh, you know, Rich, the uh, millionaire, uh, real millionaire next door, had touched on is most of these people that are extremely wealthy uh, have very ordinary types of businesses. They don't tend to be the doctors and the lawyers and everybody that you know thinks of, of as wealthy or dentists. Uh, it really tended to be people like auto, auto body shop owners or mm-hmm. uh, you know very mundane businesses. Is another another parallel that you brought up uh, pretty quickly. But before we dig into those specifics. Share with our listeners how they'd contact you and learn more about Rich Habits. So why don't you give us uh, you know, some websites that would be the best way to find out more? Well, uh, sure, Ron. We, we put together a really uh, powerful website, uh, richhabits.net, and you can go on there mm-hmm. and get – I blog almost every week on new research articles, things that I'm, I'm working on. I'm working on a book right now, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life. So I'm putting out all of my research data on the blog, and um, although my publicist doesn't like that, it's a, I like doing it because it gets the information out there, and uh, it helps me with writing the book. So, uh, I richhabits.net. You can get all of that those new research articles that eventually become books, and also I have free eBooks and free reports. And of course, you can you can get my books. I have a, uh, no, uh, another book, Rich Kids: How to Raise Your Kids to Be Happy and Successful in Life. Oh, right. So that's on there, mm-hmm. and. Um, you can uh, also go to Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Okay. All right. Great. Uh, you know, you, you you touch on that, but one of the important things that you know we need to set the stage here, make sure that uh, our listeners are, are you know aware of how you're defining rich and poor in the book. Is it income based or is it asset based? I mean, what are you looking at? How do you make the dividing line between somebody that's rich, somebody that's poor, and maybe in between? Yeah, that, that's a great question. The, the starting point for me was I wanted to um, define wealthy people as uh, making a certain amount of money and having a certain amount of wealth. And uh, I I created the thresholds of $160,000 for income, that's the minimum, okay. and uh, having a net worth of $3.2 million or higher. And for poor people, it was uh, making less than $35,000 a year and having um, a net worth of, of less than $5,000, basically less than $5,000 in the bank. Wow. Okay, so that is a huge contrast, obviously, the large large group in, in between. So we're not talking about, uh, you know, the 100% of the population fitting the one category or the other, and that's an important factor here to keep in mind. Um, it just it's just fascinating that there are such huge and they're still big groups they're not it's not like there are 10 people in each group or something like that unfortunately uh there is uh, a lot in that lower group and uh, part of it's government force but that's a whole other story i won't get into in today's show we'll probably talk about it in the future but let me remind our listeners you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. Our sponsor today is BI Solutions Corp., a real estate fund in the Phoenix Scottsdale area. Now, if you missed some of the prior shows, including the last one we did on investor behavior, or if you want to re-listen, we maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. If you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows or have trouble accessing our site in the next few days or just can't uh, find some shows, send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Now, a reminder, during the show, we welcome you to ask questions. 
especially I should be paying attention to the chat window, but we do have a chat window below the radio player, so it's just easiest to put a little comment or a question in there, or you can call in. That number is 917-388-4162, also at the top of the screen. Our topic today is rich habits. Our guest is Thomas C. Corley. Uh, CPA, financial planner, CEO of the Rich Habits Institute, and he's also author of the book, Rich Habits, our topic today. Now, Tom, a claim I found fascinating or, I guess, really scary, that you can tell right away if someone's rich or poor simply by asking them how much junk food, how many calories of junk food they, each, they eat each day. Uh, explain that for us. Yeah, this is really uh, kind of cool, Ron. So now I have all of this data. I know what, what makes uh, rich people rich. I know what makes poor people poor. And so I could l- literally walk up to anybody at a party or on the street and ask them a couple of questions. Uh, how much junk food, how many junk food calories do you eat in a day? And if, if they know and they say, you know, oh, I eat more than 300 junk food calories, that's Okay, that's one indication that they're probably poor. Uh, if uh, I were to ask them, um, for example, how much do they read for self-education every day, and if they tell me, oh, you know, I read about 30 minutes to 60 minutes a day, I try and educate myself mm-hmm. every day and learn things, I know that that's, indica- that's an indicator that uh, they might be wealthy. And I could ask them health questions as well, uh, such as do you engage in aerobic activity, cardio. I found that there was a common thread among the wealthy that they engaged in uh, cardio exercises. And so I can go down this list. I have, you know, I tracked over 300 data points. So I can go down this list of these 300 data points, ask questions, and without knowing anything about their finances, I could tell just from that data and that information uh, that they're either rich or poor. I don't need to know how much money they have in the bank. I, I already know. All right, so if I make a trip uh, a couple times a week to a McDonald's to grab a cup of coffee and uh, maybe check my uh, email or something like that, uh, that doesn't qualify me as uh, bordering on poor. It doesn't sound it sounds like the number of calories more right. than necessarily where you visit. I just happen to like their coffee many, better than many others, but that's another story. <laughs> okay, uh, how do you define habits? Do these include things like the the routine we go through, like getting up in the morning, washing up, brushing our teeth? Are those also habits that you know we we do kind of routinely? We don't have to think about. We don't have to, you know, engage our brain to say how do I tie my shoe? Are those also habits? Yeah, well, habits are amazing things that are created by the a part of our brain called the basal ganglia. Um, the the reason why we have habits is the brain doesn't. You know, when we when we store uh, fuel in our bodies, it, it it generally is in the form of fat. Uh, so our mm-hmm. bodies can reach into that fat sto- storage and and pull out. You know, the glucose is the main fuel of the body. The brain doesn't have any of that storage capabilities. There's no, it doesn't store any fuel. So the brain had by necessity had to become really efficient. And what they what the brain did is it created something called habits, and habits are unconscious behaviors that we engage in. In fact, a, a, um, there was a study in 2006 by Duke, and they determined that 40% of all of our daily activities are habits. And and this is important, Ron, because this means that 40% of the time we're on autopilot. We don't we're unconsciously doing things. 
Uh, and the brain likes this because that means it doesn't have to use uh, up excess uh, glucose. So it's more efficient u- use of the brain. Uh, and these habits that we engage in are things like brushing your teeth, what time you wake up in the morning, what do you do in the morning, what are your activities, uh, what do you do in the afternoon, what do you do at night. And I tracked all sorts of different habits of the wealthy and the poor. Uh, and most of the time we just are not even aware of it, and that's the key. Uh, right. The key to habit change, anyway, is awareness. Yeah, and that's exactly why I chose that um, quote at the beginning, because I really think that's part of the problem, is we just don't know exactly what we're doing. It's, like I said, it's easier you know, to observe in somebody else's life, I think, sometimes than in our own. You know, kind of looking in the mirror is a little bit more difficult than uh, than watching somebody else's life and saying, ah, you know, they should have done this differently and they would be fine. So give us some examples of habits of the wealthy. Or I guess I should refer to them as rich habit. Give us, give us some uh, examples. Sure. Well, you know what? Well, let me just give you a ten thousand foot overview quickly. Some sure. of the habits that we have cause happiness. Some cause sadness. Financial success, poverty, good health, bad health. Uh, what I did was I create. I took all of these three hundred data points and I created ten core rich habits, which are really keystone habits. Keystone habits are unique in the habit world because they affect other ordinary habits. They, in fact, they overpower them. Uh, and so you, one of the uh, rich habits is uh, building goals around your wishes or your dreams. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is what wealthy people do. They, they come up with all these wishes and dreams, and then they build these goals around them. Goals are uh, two things there. One is physical activity, and the second thing is 100% achievability. There's a um, misinterpretation of what a goal is, and that's why most people don't achieve their goals. They're actually pursuing wishes and dreams. So what I talk about in the book is how important it is to build goals around your wishes and dreams. Then you can accomplish, once you accomplish those goals, then you can realize your wishes and dreams. The other thing is they they have the wealthy people uh, had one of the common activities that they engaged in was self-education, they self-improvement, whatever you want to call it, but mm-hmm. they okay. were obsessed with improving themselves, gaining knowledge, learning about their careers, about their industries, about anything that would grow their knowledge base and help move them forward in achieving their goals. They um, exercised 30 minutes or more aerobically every day, which was interesting to me. Uh, and they were, they had all of these powerful relationship habits. They had certain activities they engaged in to build their relationships, such as the hello call, the happy birthday call, the life event call. They got into networking. Networking is a big deal. Uh, that's where you find r- relationships and build on them. Um, and n- nonprofits are a, a really a good place to start. <clears throat> if you're not into networking, you can. Uh, most of the people on the boards and on the committees are usually local community people that are fairly successful uh and they don't they they don't have a tendency to go overboard on on too many things if they drink they drink in moderation if they eat they eat in moderation mm-hmm. so there's this kind of I, I don't want to call it discipline but it's a habit they just don't go overboard they live their lo- their lives in uh, moderation <laughs> and they also create to-do lists the to-do lists help them accomplish certain things every day that that end up becoming goals that they achieve uh and they have a i call this rich thinking they have a positive optimistic enthusiastic mindset and this is a real important rich habit because um most of the poor people had just the opposite they had negative 
mindsets. They were depressed. They were sad. They weren't happy. Uh, so wealthy people just thought differently. There's there's just a different way that of thinking involved. And wealthy people also made a habit early on in their lives of saving. They're, most of these habits, Ron, by the way, are picked up by our parents. Uh, we right. have a tendency right. to uh, you know do Mimic, what our parents yeah. do. And, uh, you know, there are studies on this. A recent study found, I think it was Harvard, found that um, most of the habits that we have in our adult lives were formed by the age of nine, which is incredible to me. So Mm -hmm. this is how powerful parents are in terms of being mentors to their kids. Uh, And um, they also had this habit of um, controlling their thoughts and emotions. I, I like to say that wealthy people um not every thought that came in comes into their head comes out of their mouth <laughs> right <laughs> i like that i like that yeah. excellent hey, let me go back to you made a statement right at the beginning of, of this when when you said some habit habits create happiness uh or or, or of course sadness uh, others create wealth and health what were give us that list again because that, that that's something new to me sure um, there, some, there are, every habit has an outcome. Uh, okay. it's, cause, it's a cause and effect. Uh, so some habits cause happiness, some cause sadness, some okay. cause financial success, poverty, good health, bad health. Some mm-hmm. uh, cause short or long lifespans. And then there are other habits, Ron, that actually alter our IQs, good or bad. They can increase hmm. your IQ. You can, this is something that's new in, in neurology, uh, the, they understand there's something called plasticity and neurogenesis, and we now know that we can increase our IQs all the way into our 80s uh, as long as we have certain oh. habits that engage our brain. Um, and th- they're usually things that are associated with pursuing something that you're enthusiastic about that requires you to gain knowledge and grow as an individual, and they, that helps grow our brain. So uh, there's all sorts of uh, different habits uh you know that are you know responsible for our status our our social status and our mindset wow wow a lot of lot of great stuff and and boy i'm going to ask fewer questions and just give you time to talk i am really learning a lot <laughs> but while this is fresh on our mind we just talked about some some habits of the wealthy or or rich habits give us some examples of habits of the poor and obviously some will be contrast to those uh but uh, like in your like in your example of the um junk food versus the uh reading they're they're they're, they're two different areas so give us some examples of habits of the poor well, yeah, one of the things that I uncovered was uh, 6% of, of the poor engaged in uh, what I call daily educational reading, self-education. So that mm. means 94% of the poor are not reading anything that will right. help improve their lives. Uh, and, and if they are reading, 79% of the poor are reading for entertainment, uh, right. whereas you know, 11% of the wealthy are doing that. So that means that 89% are not reading for entertainment. They're reading for a purpose. Uh, 79% of the poor engaged in gossiping. Gossiping is a negative activity. It's a, it's a bad thing. It ne- never, it's usually never positive. You don't go around saying, hey, Ron, that Ron is a great guy. It's, gossiping is usually negative, trying to find bad things about other people to share. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, so and so gossiping is by and large. Uh, in fact, I was on the, the Dave Ramsey show a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. he had me on. One of the reasons was he had a no gossip policy in his office, 
hmm. and he was just uh you know entranced by this uh this gossip habit of mine and uh, th- there are uh, certain habits like st- multiple streams of income. I found that 65% of the wealthy had three or more streams of income. Uh, the, mm-hmm. p- the poor, only I only found 6% that had three or more streams of income. So 94% had one, were dependent on one stream of income. And, and it's inter- an interesting, uh, this 6%, 5 or 6% kept popping up in my uh, poor data. And then I did some further research, and I uncovered the fact that about between four and seven percent of the poor break out of poverty. Uh, they, in other words, poverty is generational usually. So when I, I, I looked at this, I said, "Boy, it's, it's interesting. You know, four. It seems like between three and seven percent are always of the poor, always doing some of these rich habits, and those are the." the Poor that are actually breaking out of of poverty and they go on to be successful in life. So, uh, the, it's it's just there. I can there's 300 of these things and I you know I just wow. love yeah I just love talking about it. It's the savings. You know, the wealthy people had this mindset that they could save no matter what, even if they were poor. Uh, and um, 100% of the wealthy had the habit of saving 10% or more of their income. Only 5% of the poor had that. And when it came to 20%, saving 20% of their net income, 0% of the poor uh, did that. So uh, if you're not saving, if you don't get into the habit of saving, then you're uh, you're, not, you're never going to be able to be rich because the, that money that you save eventually can be deployed, Ron, right. uh, when an op- opportunity presents itself. And if you're if you don't have that habit, even when you know a lot of these, a lot of most of the wealthy, the self-made millionaires in my study, a large percentage, I think 67% were self-made millionaires, right? So they came mm-hmm. from either poor or middle-class backgrounds. Exactly. So their parents taught them to save, and they and I'm doing it with my kids, teaching them how to save 20% of their income, and they're doing it because I told them to, <laughs> and they listened to me. So they're going to become successful in life because they're going to be able to use that money in, in time. That'll grow to you know ten, a hundred thousand dollars, and some opportunity will present itself, and they'll be able to take part of their savings and invest in it. Yeah, let me combine that with something you said earlier, because you know, of course, a lot of people say, "Well, my teenagers, teenagers won't listen to me no matter what I tell them." I should probably tell them the opposite. But at the same time, what you said earlier is those habits are developed mostly by the age of nine. So if they didn't get them earlier, then trying to teach them something new or different when they're a teenager and a bit obstinate, <laughs> then uh, you know, it may be it may be too late. So to some extent, look in the mirror. Yeah, and, and the thing for parents and teachers also and grandparents to understand here is your kids are always watching what you're doing. Right. So you don't have to sit down and tell your kids, hey, you've got to save 20% or more of your income. You, by, the, the, by the very fact that you do it and you talk about it and it becomes a household conversation, the kids pick up on that stuff. And uh, most of the wealthy uh, individuals in my study, the self-made millionaires, they picked up these habits from the household, and so they took them with them in, into their adult lives, and then they became successful. And the parents, very most of them who were, you know, parents of these self-made millionaires, most of them were were poor or middle class, but they picked up these habits later in life, and then mm-hmm. they started teaching them to their kids. You know, they weren't taught these habits, so they picked them up, mm-hmm. and then they might have moved them up into the middle class. But it was too, it's you know, when you pick up certain habits. 
in your 40s, your 50s, it's hard for you. It's a catch-up game, you know, Ron? Mm -hmm. So uh, the idea is really to get these habits instilled in the young people, the millennials, and the X and Y generation while they're young. But it's never too late, so don't don't uh, don't never give up late. on it. Exactly. That's right. Let's do another contrast, Tom. Walk us through the typical day of a wealthy person. Sure. Well, what I found in my research is that 44% of the wealthy woke up three hours or more before they actually started their work day. And what was interesting about that was what they did with those three hours. You know, mm -hmm. many of them engaged in self-education. They read for 30 minutes or more. Some of them sure. uh, were preparing for night school. They were going to school at night, so they were doing their homework in the morning. Some of them were uh, preparing speak speeches because they did speaking engagements. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of them were uh, engaging in some type of hobby, some passion that they had that they were hoping one day they could uh, you know, go into full-time and become their, you know, their life's work. Uh, and uh, some of them were teaching at night, so they were preparing... Uh, their lessons in the morning. So they had all of these different activities, and there were dozens of these activities that they engaged in every morning. And then you know, when they got in their car or they got on the bus or on the subway or, work, or commuting to work, m most of the wealthy people were listening to either podcasts or audio books, uh, mm -hmm. and they, you know, they just weren't listening to music. So uh, they were trying to you be productive during their commute. Uh, and then when they got into work, what I found it interesting is they didn't just jump right away on the phone and and check their voicemail or jump on their email and check their their email. They had certain times during the day. Typically, it was around 11 a.m. <clears throat> that they checked their voicemail and their their uh, email, and at two in the afternoon they would they would do that. So they they had they chunked their time is what i'm saying and mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. they they after they you know they they get into work they look at their to-do list or they created their to-do list and they start going right at it uh, and they try and get certain things accomplished uh, certain important things accomplished while they have a lot of energy in the morning and um then at lunchtime there was at least half of them of these wealthy people were doing something productive with their lunch hour, whether it was reading or networking and going to lunches, doing speaking engagements. That's something that I got into the habit of doing, uh, you know, using their time productively. It, it doesn't mean, you know, you're working all the time because in a lot of cases you're doing something at lunchtime that you love, something, mm -hmm. something that, that's part of your hobby or your passion. Speaking for me is and writing for me is a passion, so I would do that during lunchtime. Uh, and then when they got back from, from lunch or their networking meeting, uh, they would do an hour or two of work and then, you know, check their voicemail and their e email. And, mm -hmm. and then they would they'd get on the phone and they'd start calling their contacts and start building their relationships. They um, One of the things that I found is wealthy people have this uh, relationship-building technique called uh, hello calls, happy birthday calls, and life event calls. So they'd start making these phone calls and talking to their relationships. The hello calls is a reconnaissance mission. It's about gathering information on your contact. The more information you know about a contact, the, the, it increases the opportunity for you to do business with them or more business with them. Uh, so these calls, these hello calls, happy birthday calls, are keeping your relationship on life support. And the life event calls are really powerful because they grow the roots to the relationship. 
a tree very deep uh, when you call someone and say, hey, congratulations, Ron, I heard you, you know, you had a, a wedding or a grandchild or a child or whatever. Uh, they say, oh, thank you, I appreciate that, you know, and they'll talk to you for five or ten minutes about it, and the relationship grows stronger because sure. you uh, tapped an emotional nerve with them. And so these are kind of the things that they would do in their late afternoon, and, and then, of course, commuting back back home, they'd repeat mm-hmm. the same commuting habits. Uh, and then what was also very interesting is when they got home, two two, uh, two or three days out of the week, they didn't just go home. They were going to either mm-hmm. um, nonprofit groups that they were uh, on the board or on a committee involved in. Uh, they would be on board of directors of other companies. They would be going to school at night. They would be teaching at night. They would be doing speaking engagements at night. Uh, they would be doing any number of things, coaching. They would coach uh, little league teams, mm-hmm. basketball mm-hmm. league. And this is important because when you're uh, coaching a team, well, guess what? You've got about 15 to 20 parents there that now you could build relationships with. Sure. And they could become potential customers or clients of yours. So they were doing all of these different things to that would help them improve their knowledge and help them improve their relationships and grow skills and develop skills and, and things like that. And then they'd go to bed uh, usually around 10, 10 p.m. They'd get seven hours of sleep and they'd, you know, engage in, in these new, these rich habits the next day all over again. Yeah, no, and it's not hard to get that sleep when uh, when you're exhausted from a full day. I mean, you know, it's exhausted right. just from the, the number of hours, not because of... Uh, you know, sweat and hard work. But uh, okay, let's contrast that with the poor people. The poor people, because uh, there are a couple of things you didn't mention. I suspect they're going to come up very prominently in the poor person. Yeah, well, the poor people they they typically woke up uh, just to give themselves enough time to have a cup of coffee, take a shower, uh, get dressed, and and commute to work and. Uh, so they lost a couple hours in the morning, uh, and mm-hmm. when they get to work, the first thing they do is they check their voicemail, they check their email, and if the phone rings, they, they answer it immediately. In some cases, you have to because it's your job, but if sure. you don't have to, you shouldn't. You should uh, uh, get back to them during chunks, chunking your time, mm-hmm. rich habit, and uh, then they would uh, usually break at some point, uh, and they'd engage in office gossip or they would be talking about stuff that had nothing to do with work, uh, maybe the sports team last night, and which is all well and good, but you know that if that becomes a habit and you do it every day, you're wasting a lot of time. Uh, and then they would go to lunch, and there would be more of this gossiping. They might be with some of their colleagues and talking about other people in the office, or they would uh, go and get something to eat at a McDonald's or Burger King or one of the fast food restaurants. And mm-hmm. um, if they are reading, they're probably going to read the newspaper or a, a book for entertainment uh, or listen, you know, listen to the radio or music or something like that. Uh, then they take their full hour and they get back to work and uh, they, you know, or they don't have a, a detailed work to-do list that they're working off of. So anything that comes along, diverts their attention and it's usually phone calls and emails so they're constantly you know checking their their email and they're constantly on the phone uh responding to people which is sometimes good and sometimes bad uh and um by the end of the day they might have actually had 3 or 4 hours of of solid work that they've they've gotten done uh and you know that's that's not necessarily a good thing so uh and they got home 
and this is this is what was really interesting. So when I asked the, the poor people, the same question I asked the rich people, which was, what do you do at the end of your day when you're leaving your, your place of business? Well, the poor people, mm-hmm. rich people said things like, well, you, you know, I'm I've got I'm on this board, I'm on that board, I've got this meeting, I've I've got uh, this thing I'm working on. Uh, they had all sorts of things that they were doing, activities. When I asked the poor people the same question, they said, well, you know, I worked hard, I'm tired, so I uh, you know, I get something to eat, I sit down, I want to chill out a little bit, I want to relax, I want to turn things off and watch a little bit of TV and laugh a little bit and or you know, watch something that is uh, novel or interesting to them, like the Bruce Jenner thing. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of poor people were watching that. Uh, I know I, I didn't. And I and I I think that a lot of these uh, reality shows I, I actually tracked uh, data on uh, the TV watching and uh, the reality shows 78% of the poor actually watched reality shows versus 6% of the rich. So the other thing is tw- uh, 77% of the the poor watched more than an hour of TV a day. 67% of the wealthy watched less than an hour of TV a day. So they had all these different activities that the poor people that they were they were doing which was not productively using their time. And in a lot of cases it was because they had nothing that they were pursuing extracurricular activity that is, you know, part of a goal or a dream or a wish. So that's why I talk about wishes and dreams so much because it gets that going and it could help uh, eliminate some of these bad habits. Okay. Well, I didn't want to stop you there just because I was, I was taking so many notes. I got to grab another piece of paper and put the right numbers on it. But we should tell our listeners who just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. If you missed the earlier part of the show, you can listen to the earlier portion on the archive. If you missed prior shows, you'll also find them in the archive, wealthdna.us. Today, our guest is Thomas C. Corley. Our topic is Rich Habits. Tom Corley wrote the book on this topic. He's also president of Seraph's company and CEO of the Rich Habits Institute. Uh, Tom, I guess if you redid your research uh, today, you'd probably find Facebook was in a big piece of that uh, uh, daily activity for uh, some of those poor people as well. Yeah, and that's that's a great point because Facebook wasn't around when I was doing right. uh, the research, but the internet was around, Ron, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and I found um, that. Uh, Seventy-four percent of the poor spent more than an hour a day <clears throat> on recreational internet use. So that would now be Instagram, Facebook, or you know, p- pick your flavor. Uh, whereas with the the rich people, sixty-three percent spe- spend less than an hour a day on the internet recreationally. Uh, so th- th- this is you know this Facebook obsession that we have. Uh, it's a good thing if you're using Facebook for business or for mm-hmm. pursuing a goal, yeah, which, which is the only reason I use it. The Twitter's another one. I, I use that every day. I probably, between Facebook right. and Twitter, right. I'm on there two hours a day, but that's all business-driven. Right. It's uh, for, for poor people, they're, they're doing it to waste time. You know, they're, you know, some, some have argued with me that, well, they're building relationships, and you know, that, that may be true. It's like the happy birthday call, I suppose, because you're keeping your relationships on life support, but it doesn't really build strong, powerful relationships. The only thing that builds those relationships is is uh, meeting with people and getting together with like-minded people. You want to associate. The law of association says you want to associate with like-minded people, and if you're pursuing success, that means success-oriented people. 
Well said. Tom, I'm going to switch gears on you totally here. One of the challenges some of my clients and even some of our investors face is they're unemployed. What advice would you offer to people who are unemployed? Well, this is such a great question, Ron. I'm so glad you asked it because um, one of the things that happens when you're unemployed is you you fall off the um, – you become isolated. And you, there's a lot of alone time. Bad thing when when you're you're alone as a human being, the brain starts thinking about only primarily negative things. What what I um, think is the solution to this is well, you have you're you're unemployed, you're not working, you have mm-hmm. probably the most time that you'll ever have, and uh, this is a perfect opportunity to to join a nonprofit to start uh, volunteering for nonprofits. And I've had individuals that I've told this to uh, years ago who uh, were unemployed during the two, 2008, 9, and 10. There was a lot of unemployed people. There's still unemployed people from, from the recession. Sure. Oh, and I yeah. told them, join, join these nonprofit groups. So there's most of the people on these boards are successful, wealthy individuals. And what, what has happened is these individuals joined these boards. They got to showcase their skill sets in a very relaxed environment. And over time, it doesn't happen overnight, but it could be six months to a year, you d- develop these strong relationships, and you can reach out to your contacts and say, hey, you know what, I'm, I, you know, I'm unemployed, and I'm looking for this job in this area. And these contacts can open up their database, and they'll only do that if they're comfortable with you, sure. if they've been working with you for, for a while. So they'll open up their contact database and say, hey, I got this guy, Tom Corley. He's, he does a great job on our, on our uh, couple of the committees that he runs. Uh, I think he'd be great for, you, for your place. And let's face it, Ron, most of the jobs come from um, referrals, people that we know. Uh, and, and so these individuals... They, their friends or colleagues or contacts might be calling them and say, hey, look, I, and this happened to me. I'm looking for somebody uh, for, you know, we're looking to hire somebody. Do you know anybody? And it's a perfect, sure. uh, easy way to say, hey, you know, I got this guy, Tom Corley. He's really good. Why don't you, you know, give him a call? Or, and, and then, you, you know, next thing you know, you find yourself uh, building these relationships with people who, have pot- who are potential employers. Yep. Now, for years, I did most of my hiring at uh, the groups like Toastmasters or the United Way, which uh, I was on the board, and uh, uh, the church groups, those kinds of things. So I actually hired a lot of people just because I got to know them, respect them, trust them. Uh, so it was a, uh, a win for me. So it's not just passing on a referral. In some cases, it's direct uh, employment of those people. So good, very good tip. Now, during this study, uh, did you identify some lucrative careers? So if somebody said, hey, you know, I'm looking at maybe switching careers because it seems to be a dead end in what I'm doing, you know, buggy whip producers are no longer very uh, very lucrative. <laughs> uh, you know, and I use that, of course, as the traditional example. But, you know, there are there are industries that are, that are shrinking. There are industries that are growing. Are there ones that showed up as particularly good careers? Yeah, well, one of the – well, 50%, 51% of uh, the – Wealthy people in my study were were business owners, uh, yeah. and that's important because they, it's it's one of the big equalizers. Ron, you if you don't mm-hmm. have a good education, well, you can get that good education through the school of hard knocks. And um, when you start a business, you learn pretty quickly what to do and what not to do because when you make mistakes, it costs you time and money. So it's it's no accident that. 
51% of the wealthy in my study were business owners, and they were, you know, they had dis- they owned companies that were distributors for lighting, uh, for distributors for certain types of uh, manufacturing equipment. 13% of the wealthy people in my study were salespeople. They had a sales background. They that's what they did. Uh, 28% were professionals like doctors, attorneys, CPAs, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but here's a real interesting one. 91% of all of the self-made millionaires in my study were decision makers at their company, okay. whether they owned the company or they were you know, working for a big employer. They were in the decision-making role, and that's okay. that seems to be a common thread. You have to be in a, a decision-making role because that's – uh, one of the ways that you get recognized and make more money because you're taking on more responsibility, you're responsible, so you're, they're going to pay you more. So you want to become a decision maker in whatever you're doing. Okay. Hey, I want to switch gears here again for a second because one of the things you had said earlier about, um, for example, raising your IQ uh, through, throughout your lifetime, even up to the age of 80, uh, one of our listeners has a question here. Have you run into any analysis or have you done any around traumatic brain injuries? Is there, you know, doctors often yeah. say that, you know, recovery is just not going to happen. You're not going to get very far. Uh, is there some indication that recovery is indeed possible, that you can, you know, kind of get that brain moving again? Uh, improve its uh, functionality? Yeah, sure. The, the leader in this industry, the answer is yes. I've, I've done a lot of research on this. And the answer is yes. The, the the one individual who's probably at the forefront of this is Dr. Daniel Amen. He has these Amen clinics all around the country. Uh, he has the, he, I did a speaking engagement with him in December, and he his, he's just amazing. He can uh, take an individual, he does these spectral analysis of, of the brain, Okay. And he could determine where the blood flow is reduced inside the brain, and that's mm-hmm. usually where there's injury. And, and sometimes you don't even know you have uh, an injury. Uh, you, might, you might have fell when you were a kid, eight or nine years old, and had a concussion. You don't even know that. You might have prefrontal cortex damage. He can find that out in his spectral uh, analysis. And mm-hmm. it's, imp- it's important because <clears throat> when the prefrontal cortex is damaged, uh, the prefrontal lobes, particularly on the, both sides of the head, right. uh, it, it takes away your, your ability to make decisions. It takes away your, your willpower. You engage in spontaneous activities, and you don't understand why. Well, uh, typically, it's because you have some type of uh, brain damage. And he has, he, Dr. Amen uh, has um, right. support that he, of his, his research that he can actually reverse reverse uh, brain damage, and, and he's actually been able to reverse Alzheimer's in his patients. So there's, I would say the first place to look to would be anything that Dr. Amen, uh, any of his research, go to his website, Amen Clinics. Uh, you, you'll find a lot of data there. Uh, he also wrote a great book, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I'm familiar with I wasn't the spectral analysis, some new to me, so hopefully that's a tip there, Richard. Uh, but uh, Dr. Amen also is one that focuses very heavily on nutrition as a factor in improving the brain. Right. Uh, and, and I guess uh, junk food is not uh, on that nutrition list. Right. But yeah, he's he very says, much into um, the right things. He says when you eat sugar, you're eating cancer. That's the way he puts it. And uh, that really stuck with me because uh, I, I, you know, I, ha- I have a sweet tooth. I like chocolate, so I backed off on uh, my chocolate intake because of what he said. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, totally with you. We've cut our carb content, uh, carb intake, not 100 percent, but probably about 50 percent has been has been significant. Just in, in, uh, you actually have to work hard to keep your weight up after a while. But um, uh, back to to um, one of your earlier uh, uh, comments, I want to again, I guess, uh, our listeners' uh, question here, uh, which, and I'm going to paraphrase it, which comes first, uh, the the you know financial independence or good habits. Uh, you know, is it because they're financially independent that they can, you know, they now have the the, the time and the energy and the knowledge to uh, uh, develop those good habits, or is it the good habits mm-hmm. uh, and worked over time that really leads to that uh, financial independence? Yep, yeah, that's a great question, and the answer is habits precede your success. Uh, and there's a couple of places where you learn your habits in life: they're your parents, teachers, some mentor in life. Uh, usually a career mentor. Uh, you can also learn habits in books that you read. The, the so Reading books on successful individuals, you can pick up habits there. Great. And the last one is through the School of Hard Knocks. That's the hardest way to learn good habits because uh, the School of Hard Knocks, you have it's very costly in time and money. Uh, and But you do remember the mistakes and the failures, and you create you good bet. habits around those. Yeah, we've had a guest on in the past, uh, Eddie Speed, who said uh, he paraphrased a well-known, more more appropriate quote, more correct quote, which is experience is what you get when you expect something different. Uh, But you're right, and whether it's somebody else's experience, which is you can learn from reading or getting to know people or, you know, kind of paying attention to what others have done or your own, you're going to remember those a little bit better. Those stories do communicate, but you're right. Your own experience definitely sinks in. So really developing these habits as early as possible in your life and working them and, and sticking with them, continuing to strengthen them, uh, weaken those that are that are uh, negative on you, including the, we touched on the nutrition because of this question. Uh, Dr. Amen, uh, I would highly recommend, as you did, uh, getting to know his research and uh, and focusing on that aspect as well, so that we do improve our uh, brain function, which of course uh, has got to be helpful in uh, you know in our ability to uh, focus on the right habits. Yeah, the brain. The brain. Let's face it, uh, Ron. The brain is the uh, control, command and control center of our body, and as, and we have two parts of it really. If you want to simplify it. You have the okay. conscious part and you have the subconscious part. Yes. The subconscious part is, is by far the largest, and that includes the brain stem and the limbic system. And the neocortex is what you, I guess, would call the, the conscious part. Uh, but uh, you, if your brain, if you're not taking care of your body, that means you're not taking care of your brain, and that's going to manifest in poor decisions, poor behavior, uh, wrong thinking, you're going to have spontaneous behavior that you just don't understand, and, and that's all because of the nutrition. The, the poor nutrition uh, reduces the uh, prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobe's uh, capacity to control your activities. So you want to really be careful about how you take care of your body because it will affect your brain, no question about it. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to just set one thing back here in the chat message later to our to our listener because I, I think you you said it well. I want to switch back and I, I, I kind of switch gears here. Let's go back to the person that's um, unemployed or, or a follow up question, if you will. You mentioned on your on your website richhabits.net that wealthy people use certain strategies to make themselves unfireable. Now, of course, we're at risk here that English teachers are going to chastise us for creating words, uh, but it, you share some of the strategies of making uh, making oneself unfireable. 
Yeah, well, unfireable, I know you're right. It's uh, it's wrong English, but it does it, it's one <laughs> of these words that I created. It's one of these words that I created because you know exactly what it means when you hear it. And uh, when you make yourself unfireable, it's because you're doing certain things. Um, I, we talked a little bit about reading. Well, imagine that you're in a bit in a company. I have a great story about this individual who was in what would be the equivalent of uh, the mailroom in a pharmaceutical mm-hmm. company. Uh, he wanted to be successful in the pharmaceutical industry. That he just decided he was going to one day be a decision maker. But how do you go from the mailroom to being a decision maker? He decided mm-hmm. that the best chance for him was to join one of these trade groups uh, in in the region where we are, which is the New York metropolitan area. So mm-hmm. he joined these, these, this trade group, this pharmaceutical trade group, and he started to get involved with a lot of these people. He started to learn about his industry. He was on different committees, running different um, you know, projects that they had or different events. Uh, and an interesting thing happened because he was wow. at this for a number of years. And uh, they had this big meeting, and most of the CEOs – and their, the decision makers at the pharmaceutical companies were there, and um, one of the one of the senior executives saw the name tag uh, of one of the other senior executives, executives, and he said, "Hey, you know, we've got you've got a great manager in uh, Tom Corley. That, that guy is he's running like three or four committees. I love mm-hmm. working with him. He's so smart." Um, boy, you know, you're so lucky to have him. And, and the CEO of that company was just shaking his head and said, yeah, yeah, we're very lucky to have him. He had when no he idea got who back, it was. He had no idea who the guy was talking about. And he got back to his secretary and he says, who is this guy, Tom Corley? Uh, and she, she got back to him and said, well, he works in the mailroom. And, and um, she, he said, not anymore. He brought the guy up into a management trainee program, and the guy be, ended up becoming the second in, in command at the pharmaceutical company into his four, late 40s and 50s. Uh, and he, t- loved, he was one of the self-made millionaires in my study. He loved telling that story because wow. he said, it was, I didn't know what to do, but it just made sense to me if I learned more about my industry, and the trade group is a perfect way to do that. Uh, maybe at the very least I'll, I'll gain knowledge, but maybe somebody will hire me who I'm working with at the with the trade group and you know so it was a it's a cool story i love telling that story well see and i apologize we're keeping you a little bit longer today but uh, i already forewarned our producer you've got so many great tips i don't want to uh, lose you yet and that was that tip itself i've got to make sure that my son is uh, listening to the archive of the show i know he couldn't uh, uh, during but nonetheless uh, there's there's a tip i've been kind of on his case for the last couple of weeks of getting involved in in the trade groups uh, related to the industry he's now working in so uh, great great story really appreciate that one hey i'm going to risk uh, touching on politics here for just a second, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you, what do you believe, uh, or who do you believe, really, and what uh, is to blame for poverty in America? Uh, it's the parents. The parents are okay. uh, the reason why you're rich, poor, or middle class. Your parents are the first chance that you have at having a mentor in life. And mm-hmm. if uh, they're not mentoring you for success and they're just not doing a good job teaching you the important things, teaching you etiquette, teaching you the importance of reading. Here's a great one, Ron. I don't know if you know who Dr. Carson is, but he's he's going to be – right. Ben Carson is going to be running Mm -hmm. for president. He'll make the announcement shortly, I'm sure. Well, he he was raised in the the ghettos of Detroit and uh, in a single – 
family household, his single, single parent household. His, his um, father wasn't there. His mother raised them, and him and his brother. And one of the the things that she, the mother was worried about was she saw that uh, Dr. Carson and his brother were going down the wrong path, and so she said, "Look." I want you guys to read every single day. When they were 9, 10 years old, she mandated that they read every single day. They had to go to the library, and at the end of the week, they had to write a summary of what it was that they read during the week. So they, they ended up becoming fixtures at the local library. And um, what happened was Dr. Carson found out that um, he said, well, if I'm going to read, I'm going to read what interests me. So he started reading about other successful people, individuals. And he found that a lot of them were started out poor. And he said, well, wait a minute. If I'm poor and they were poor and now they're rich, why can't I get rich? Uh, so he decided uh, that the, the way to wealth, as was the case with most of the people he was reading about, was through self-education and education. So he started uh, really becoming a disciplined student. And what was interesting about this habit, this rich habit that their mother instilled in them at a very early age, was it wasn't until Dr. Carson was in, um, I think, his uh, freshman or sophomore year in high school that he found out his mother was illiterate. Right. She couldn't read. Uh, so every week they were giving her this uh, summary, right. and she would pretend that she was reading it. The, their mother intuitively knew that reading for education was the way out of the ghetto. Uh, so I I love telling that story because that that's that's the worst case scenario to the best case scenario with just one rich habit. This is just one rich habit, and a very fine surgeon on top of that. So besides being a smart guy, mm-hmm. so uh, hopefully hopefully is successful. Um, let's let's make sure we cover some of the important stuff here. Remind our listeners how they contact you, learn more about rich habits, and of course uh, how they buy the book. Sure. Well, you can go onto my website, richhabits.net, and you can get all sorts of stuff there. You can get my books. You can get free books. Uh, of course, you can get my um, books on Amazon and bookstores, or, you know, wherever books are sold, I suppose. Um, but uh, the, I would start out with uh, my website because there's all sorts of great information. I have a lot of my interviews up there, so you can listen to a lot of the media interviews. I also am a contributor to the Business Insider and to Credit.com, so I'm always posting articles, um, publishing articles in those uh, media outlets, and they end up on Yahoo Finance or AOL or MSN Money and all sorts of different places. So uh, the website, but I try and post them on the in the news section on my website. Okay, uh, you're available currently in paperback and Kindle. Any short-term plans for getting up an audio book version? It sounds like uh, you doing it in your own voice would be pretty impactful. Yeah, I, we we have done nothing but talk about that. The problem is I keep working on other books, gotcha. and uh, I I self-publish, so it's uh, you know, I got so many balls in the air, Ron. It's going to be one of these things that I'm just going to have to focus on at the end of this year. I have two books now. I'll have a third book by by probably another month or two. And, you know, my goal by the end of the year will be to get these all on audio. But, yeah, because I, I was going to say audio is going to help build your audience, which will, you know, give you more time to uh, work on the other books later on. So uh, I think that would be a great thing. Hey, we've covered a lot of aspects of, of uh, being, uh, you know, the habits of the rich and the poor and therefore becoming rich or poor. Uh, are there some key ones you'd like to add or emphasize? I mean, there are just so many. that Hopefully everybody will go back to the archive and re-listen. But are there some that we either missed or you'd like to emphasize? I think the, the one, uh, the law of association, rich habit. Uh, most of 
most of the time we associate with people without thinking about it. Um, the law of association, what I found in my research, was that most of these successful self-made millionaires, they associated with other like-minded individuals. They didn't necessarily have to be wealthy individuals, but they had that mm-hmm. wealth mindset. They had that success mindset. And so you, the law of association says, look, you've got to, you're going to become uh, the whatever you are going to be in life. You can look at, say, the, the five, six, or ten people that you associate with most often, and you're probably going to be the average of those people. So you want to uh, change who you associate with. If you want to be successful in life, you want to associate with other success-minded individuals and make uh, them become your – you know, you want to invest at least an hour to two hours a week with those relationships, and on the, I call the the bad relationships the toxic relationships. Those are the the negative, um, depressed, uh, pessimistic individuals. You want to limit your uh, your contact with them to less than an hour a week, and that's sometimes hard to do when they're your family members. But right. you can compensate for that by associating with other successful or success-minded people. So I would say that the law of association is a powerful. Rich habit. If you could, uh, and the, on these boards and of nonprofit groups, you can find many of them there. Excellent. Real pleasure having you on as our guest, Tom. And hope you'll join us again, uh, both to answer some questions we might guess from li- get from listeners on this topic, as well as your new books that you're working on. Uh, thanks, Ron. I, I'd be happy to be on again. I love your program. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it, and uh, lots of success on uh, moving this forward. I'm sure we'll be getting the word out about your book as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we would talk about your habits, both good and bad, as far as accumulating wealth goes. It's often easier to see what other people are doing wrong than it is for, the, for us to recognize those problems in the person we see in the mirror. Once we understand which habits are helpful to building our wealth, we can focus on those and gradually eliminate those that are holding us back. And maybe we have to fire some friends, too. So if your response to Mae West's quote, knowing what you want is the first step toward getting it, and you know that answer is you want to become wealthy, then consistent with our mission, we want to do everything we can to get you there as quickly as possible. Knowing that understanding the problem is half the solution, we sure hope today's show has helped you better understand the problem. It certainly has for me. I also mentioned at the very beginning, if you didn't get all of the answers you're looking for, then do what I've done. Add Tom Corley's book, Rich Habits, to your reading list. Many of the topics he addressed today are very consistent with the five key books I consistently recommend to all of our listeners. And I'll just quickly mention the names, and we'll talk about why in the future show. Uh, and if I put them in, a, in some sort of sequence that I think would be ideal if somebody hasn't read them or is new to investing, first would be Richest Man in Babylon, the second, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the third, Millionaire Next Door, which we touched on, fourth, we also touched on Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, and fifth, The Millionaire Mind. That's a sequel to The Millionaire Next Door with much more detail. Now, after I finish reading Tom Corley's book, I'll know whether it should be added to this list of must-reads for investors, but I'm certainly encouraged by the information I learned today, and I learned a lot. I've got a lot of notes. I was so glad to hear Tom confirm that I've uh, what I've suggested often on this show. Turn off the TV. Spend that time in your library reading instead. And I think it's very unlikely that three reasonably successful individuals could all be wrong on this advice. And I'll quote, uh, I won't quote him, but I've mentioned his quote in the past, Zig Ziglar. 
Tom Corley, and of course, yours truly. Incidentally, my success for achieving the financial holy grail, which I'll remind you is income for life, is probably far less to do with us being smarter than the average person than it does the fact that I read ten times the amount the average person reads just like Tom Corley does. It's not that I retain all that knowledge, but I do take notes, and when I need the information, I certainly know where to find it. Internet searches are great, but just try, I haven't tried it yet, but just try putting what habits are holding me back from becoming wealthy. Stick that into your favorite search browser, and we'll see what happens. At best, you'll end up with Tom Corley's book, and I certainly don't expect you'll find the detailed answers for your specific habits. Now, another big advantage you have over most investors, you listen to the Wealthy Nate radio show. And uh, regular listeners know that our objective is to help one million people become investors, become million investors. Let's try that again. One million investors to become millionaires. And I'm confident some of the information we discussed today be extremely helpful in your journey to become one of those millionaires. And remember, one of the best ways to increase your wealth is to tune into the show twice a month. We'll share the investment fundamentals, some great ideas, plus help overcome obstacles to becoming wealthy. Many thanks to BI Solutions Corp. for sponsoring today's show. They're a residential real estate fund in the Phoenix-Scottsdale area and have helped many investors, including me, to have income for life. Now, the next Wealth DNA radio show will be the second Monday of May. That is Monday, May 11th. Hopefully I didn't screw up that date. I did check it twice, 9 a.m. Arizona time. Same place, same time. We don't have a guest planned at this point. Instead, you and I will talk about the Kairos moments in your life. You don't have to do a lot of preparation. I'll help you through the process of identifying them. As usual, we provide the lineup of guests and topics on WealthDNA.us, and there you'll find the archive of past shows. If you have some comments, suggestions, or questions on today's topic, you haven't received my emails reminding you about the show, or you have trouble finding a show on our site, send an email to me, ron at WealthDNA.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. Happy investing and developing rich habits. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started. <laughs>